We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, September 11th, 2023. Yesterday, on Sunday, September 10th, 2023, was not a fun day for many Chicago fans. The White Sox lost another series to Detroit and have officially been eliminated from postseason contention. A short time later, the Chicago Bears in their season opener got embarrassed by their biggest rivals, the Green Bay Packers at home, losing 38-20. So if you are listening to us as a break from the instant analysis and reaction to the Bears starting 0-1, welcome! In this episode, we'll be discussing... Quite a bit about what new White Sox journal manager Chris Getz had to say about his plan of attack and dropping clues on what could happen to the White Sox roster this offseason. Plus a report from Birmingham, Alabama, as Jim Margulis is visiting the Barons as they close out their season at Regents Field. Speaking of Jim, he's still on the road joining me from Birmingham, and he now joins the Sox Machine podcast. Hello, Jim from Birmingham. How is the weather in Alabama? It's fantastic. My car is not. That's why I'm still remote. I was expecting to be home, uh, but I had transmission problems on the drive down. And it turns out that 5 p.m. on a Friday is a terrible time to have transmission problems or anything that requires diagnostic. Uh, anything beyond an oil change is really hard to find on a weekend. So Monday morning, I'm going to be spraying the Birmingham area with calls to transmission shops, seeing if I can get it looked at and figure out how to get home because uh, whether I believe my car in Alabama, if it needs serious work done or not, like transmissions are always touchy. I'm not optimistic, but we shall see. So hence the shoddy sound recording quality. And I apologize. Yeah. Well, we, we need you home. So we got to get you back to Nashville. So let's hopefully you have some good news uh, Monday morning. Uh, and the fine folks in Birmingham can help you out. Well, we'll talk more about what Jim watched as far as the Birmingham Barons obviously the top prospects for the White Sox are in Birmingham at the moment so we'll talk about the Barons later in the show but first Jim Chris Getz spoke he was actually with the team in Detroit this weekend a bit of a surprise but 
maybe he's already putting in the work as the newly appointed general manager and trying to figure out what's worth keeping and what is not. We've had this discussion many times, and I think it's a good place to start is with Pedro Grafal. And Chris Getz continues to back Pedro Grafal. And what Getz said, and you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com over the weekend, quote, Pedro... I've had a lot of time to write. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> qu- quote, Pedro came into a tough situation with the disappointment of 2022. His experience is very valuable with all the different roles he's had in this game. He's experienced winning, which debatable. Uh, he's determined to get this right. I think that type of difference, that different type of support he'll benefit from. And the leadership starting with myself could really help him do that. That last part of the quote, from Chris Getz. Jim, what do you think Getz is meaning when he says, I think that different type of support he'll benefit from and the leadership starting with myself could really help him do that. What what does Getz mean by a different type of support for Pedro Grafal? Well, if he's not just using that as a placeholder for real action, and just doesn't exactly know how to uh, say that, uh, you know, he's just hoping things will be different. And so he can kind of refer to something vague like that. Then perhaps like it doesn't really mean anything for the time being, and he'll hope it means something like as he goes along and he can actually like think of something that it means. Uh, if we are not so cynical and we think that he might be alluding to something, the one thing that I can think of when it comes to supports or things that the previous administration with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn did that Chris Getz might have disagreed with or might not have done is like perhaps pick some of his own coaches like I mean or pick all of his coaches because he it was an arranged marriage with Ethan Katz um you know he did have to keep Daryl Boston uh everybody did uh he did uh he was uh, had an arranged marriage with Charlie Montoyo uh it almost seemed like the White Sox picked Montoyo before a manager and then said like, Oh, you're going to be, he's going to be your bench coach. And that was awkward. So perhaps that's the one thing, like, I don't know if I trust Griffol to pick his own guys. Like the guys he's picked really haven't done much. So like, I don't expect anything to be different from him picking a pitching coach, especially when you look at what the Royals pitching staff did over his last several years there. But that's the one thing I can think of to where like, you know, they put some governors on his authority and maybe that does handcuff a manager a little bit, especially since like, well, Ethan Katz, like not a great year for him. Uh, Lucas Giolito mm-hmm. going to Anaheim and saying, they helped me rediscover my velocity. And like, you know, Lucas Giolito's pitching coach in Chicago was Ethan Katz, who was his previous guru. So, I mean, like if Katz uh, no longer helps Giolito and, Dylan Cease is sliding backwards and Michael Kopech is worse than he's ever been. Like, uh, I don't know what Katz has going for him. So that's the one thing I can think of to where maybe Griffel gets some, uh, you know, a little bit more leeway in terms of who he thinks might be able to help him. Yeah. It'd be very interesting to see what ex Royals pitching coach would replace Cal Ethan Katz. Oh gosh. Yeah. Old friend. Cal Eldred. I watch. I was at his game. Uh, his start when his uh, elbow shattered. I still don't think it's a good idea to continue having Pedro Grafal as a manager. I said in a previous episode on this podcast, in case you missed it, that I think Pedro Grafal is the worst manager of my fandom of the Chicago White Sox. And I just don't see a lot of players playing hard for him. Like the energy level is absolutely awful. 
all weekend. It was awful for the Chicago White Sox. It, this isn't like Ricky Renteria where Ricky's boys don't quit. And that was true. Like they weren't good, but you at least you at least saw the effort and energy on the field when Renteria was managing some really bad White Sox teams. They like playing hard for him. Nobody is playing hard for Pedro Grafal. So if Chris Getz is going to continue backing Pedro Grafal here, Jim, it leads to the second part of the interview that Chris Getz had with the media in Detroit, and that is maybe foreshadowing some roster changes. It gets said, quote, we are a team that needs to get more athletic. I spoke about the defense. I think we've seen some of the base running that's been frustrating, whether that be related to effort or the ability to take the extra base, all things that are being evaluated and most likely need to be adjusted in regards to the makeup of the roster. It would be short-sighted not to at least exhaust or at least entertain some ways to improve the team. When you're a sub-60 win team, which we are at this point, I certainly need to find ways to improve this for 2024. And that means we need to acquire some players by moving some of the players who are on this roster. I'm willing to do that. End quote. Need to get more athletic. Jim, why do the White Sox need to get more athletic? Is this just a renewed sense of focus on defense? Or are we going to see an attempt at a different style play where maybe the White Sox are going to run more than they have in the previous seasons? I think it's probably more a matter of defensive usefulness, uh, you know, maybe utility when it comes to covering multiple positions, but also being good at your position and not uh, being somebody who is just, you know, left field at best or first base at best or third base pray he doesn't have to play first base. And I wonder if that's like a backhanded dig at maybe some previous White Sox uh, scouting group directors, or at least the, you know, the ones who uh, I'm thinking like uh, name rhymes of Pick Nostetler about uh, <laughs> the kinds of uh, players they brought in to draw walks and defense and athleticism and, uh, was more or less a secondary concern. And uh, like Zach Collins and Gavin Sheets and so forth, and just kind of piled up on them to have all these redundant players. They trade for Eloy Jimenez, who doesn't help in that regard. Uh, and uh, they end up trading Jake Berger, who might be the best of the bunch. Uh, and uh, they had to trade Jake Berger in a way. Not they didn't have to trade him, but like Jake Berger was the only one they could trade because he was the only guy of interest to other teams. So if they're trying to back out of this and they might have to take a loss on a guy, like Berger might be it. But I, ideally, you don't want to get to that position unless you you know acquire somebody who uh, – you know, might be able to help along similar lines. Maybe Jake Eater ends up being that guy, but the earlier turns on him coming back from Tommy John, John surgery aren't great. And the White Sox have some work to do with him. So that's, I think, you know, maybe what I read into that. Uh, I think my problem with that quote is that like Rick Hahn promised the same thing. So it's just a different guy from the same school uh, promising the, the same things. And, you know, maybe Getz will be more aggressive. Maybe he is less attached to these players because he didn't acquire them himself and it'll be easier to pull the trigger. Even if he's not coming in completely new, he might be colder uh, than Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams in terms of like guys they've acquired and nurtured and uh, matriculated and just hasn't worked out and they don't want to pull the plug on him. I mean, that first uh, paragraph you mentioned talking about, you know, base running, you know, really an effort or ability um that kind of just thought like Eloy Jimenez like that you know more than anybody else I think he fits that description like yeah as Grandal, sure he's slow Andrew Vaughn sure he's slow but like 
in terms of you know efforts and ability and the way like Jimenez's legs are never quite right or seemingly never right and he's always kind of wincing and um you know walking gingerly whenever he has to max out like i wonder like are these going to be uh eloy jimenez's final weeks in a white Sox uniform well that was going to be one of the questions i was going to ask you after reading as far as the quotes and re- trying to read into what chris gets is alluding to do you think this is the final 19 games of eloy jimenez with the chicago white Sox? seems like it could be especially since you know some teams i think would love to get their hands on them um because like the Ability to hit doubles is there. The exit velocity is always good. Um, the strikeout rate is reasonable. The walk rate is not terrible. Um, it's just a matter of like swing mechanics and just the ability to get lift. And I imagine some teams who have had some success stories uh, along those lines in terms of just making a swing tweak that gets that ball in the air would love to have them. And, you know, given that he's paid a non-negligible amount to be making eight figures, um, like a team will be able to have some leverage, I think, trading for him and saying like, no, he's being paid market rates for what he's shown he can contribute. We're taking risk, bringing him on. He might be unfixable, but, you know, we we have the ability or we have the roster spot. We have the need to try to make it happen, but we're not going to be suckers here either if uh, we end up having the same problems you did. So that's why I think like, you know, he has enough raw ingredients. Like I'm thinking like Jose Bautista along those lines of just, you know, you can understand why team after team after team took a shot at him. And all of a sudden, like the Blue Jays figured it out. And I think Jimenez might be that same kind of case to where like maybe the next team he signs with doesn't, isn't able to flip that switch, but maybe like the second team or the third team will be able to get like that one all-star season he's been missing. The thing about Eloy, so right now Eloy's got 19 doubles. He's hit 15 homers for the White Sox. So that's 34 extra base hits in 102 games. That's not a very high amount. His slash line is 272 batting average, 320 on base percentage, slugging 438. That's not going to cut it. And we are now to the point of Eloy's career with the White Sox, Jim, in which he only has one season unless he hits five home runs in the remaining 19 games of 2023 with he only has one season with more than 20 homers hit. And that was his rookie year in 2019. And that was the super bouncy ball. Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting to wonder just like Yoan Makata and his famous 2019 season. Was it the baseball? Have we've all been fooled? because of the raw power that we saw from Eloy. And we saw some of it in 2020 before he hurt himself during a celebration. And then he just hasn't been the same since he dunked over the wall. Just thinking about all the stupid injuries that Eloy Jimenez (laughs) has suffered over the years has suddenly made him, I don't know, Avisil Garcia. I mean, is that a fair comp? Someone that you can't trust to hit more than 20 homers in a season, but you look at the body and you look at some of the exit velocity numbers and you could dream that, hey, this guy should be a consistent 30 home run hitter, but never gets there either because of a really bad ground ball rate for his hitting profile, which is ground ball rates hovering around 53%. That's not good. Uh, his lack of athleticism. You can't really put him in the outfield. Mm-hmm. He's a liability and, and part of what Chris Getz is getting at. 
So I, from Getz's comments and from your writing, Jim, the more I think about it, it's like this might be it. And I don't think you're going to get a whole lot for Eloy Jimenez. And I don't know what kind of players you want to target in some type of trade moving him and what you're hoping to get back in return. Obviously, the White Sox had a help at the trade deadline that they needed to restock the pitching depth in the minor leagues. So that was their focus in moving Jake Berger. I'm not quite sure yet where Chris Getz is coming from with the athleticism, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I think I'm with you, Jim. And, you know, you've been kind of pounding this drum now for a couple of years that maybe the White Sox should consider trading Eloy Jimenez, and it's not certainly selling him high, but... I wonder if that is one of the first moves that shakes up the clubhouse is that, yeah, we got to move on from Eloy because he's redundant and he's just not living up to expectations. Yeah, I wish they, uh, you know, who knows if he would have been available for like Brian Reynolds or something like that. But that was the one that I I think I started being like, oh, you know, Reynolds fits this roster a little bit better. You know, maybe the Pirates like that cost controlled, um, you know, bat that can hit the ball out to right field at PNC Park. But yeah, I think the one difference between like him and Avi Garcia is I think they're similar in terms of like what you said. I think, you know, Jimenez has a little bit more natural home power, home run power. And the fact that he hasn't like, you know, hit 20 a season is all because of availability, really. Um, you know, this is his first season since 2019 where he played over hundred games. So he's had some home run rates that have been decent to impressive and just hasn't been able to stay on the field, but that's a problem in and of itself. He'll be 27 next year. Uh, <laughs> one thing that surprised me about Eloy, uh, looking at his baseball reference page, he's never attempted a stolen base. Goes back to that athleticism comment. Yeah. And just, you know, the unwillingness to run or just being afraid to run. But like, I, that's really hard to believe. Like, that's something I would never would have guessed. Just because like Yasmani Grandal attempts stolen bases. Like it's the kind of like uh, you know, busted hit and run or so crazy it just might work. But like Grandal over the same time, has attempted seven stolen bases only one since 2020, but still like he's at least attempted one, like the crazy attempt or the one that didn't work. Like Jimenez just doesn't run. So like that's, you know, jumps out to me in terms of like, yeah, like, he's fitting the description. Um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, previous, you know, issues with the training room or work ethic, et cetera, like kind of come back to him a little bit. Uh, in terms of maybe being a little bit, um, you know, happy-go-lucky. And maybe that works well when you're on a uh, in a really good clubhouse where, you know, there's a strong hierarchy and he can go along for the ride. But, like, if the clubhouse is adrift and he has really no uh, gravitational pull or doesn't maybe have, like, the same incentives to push himself, he just likes, you know, hitting homers and, um you know, uh, doing gestures for the camera, the ice water in the veins, et cetera. And isn't so much like a, you know, leader and doesn't acknowledge leaders, doesn't know where they are, doesn't really look for them. You know, that might be one case of where it does shake up the clubhouse a little bit. And, you know, says like, well, we just, if he's not going to be a leader or if he can't even, you know, doesn't really have an interest in finding one or being one himself, or at least being a temporary leader or stabilizing force until like something more, you know, uh, sustainable makes sense, then yeah, he kind of looks like a marked man to me. Uh, I think he's not the only marked man. Tim Anderson, I don't know if he's coming back. And so, my thoughts on what Guts is getting at with athleticism, and when anybody running any type of baseball program, college, minor leagues, major leagues, Jim, when I hear mm -hmm. athleticism, 
I wonder if it means a different style of play on the field. And teams that have been focusing lately more on athleticism than the more polished tools have been like the Cincinnati Reds and the Tampa Bay Rays and the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think the Diamondbacks are an excellent example here. And these three teams lead the league in stolen bases with the new rules. I mean, the Reds have stolen 167 bases in 210 attempts. They've attempted to steal a base 210 times in 145 games. In comparison, the White Sox have only attempted 98 steals this year. They're pretty effective when they do try to steal. The White Sox are 80 for 98 in stolen bases, but they don't run a whole lot. The 80 stolen bases is good for 23rd in Major League Baseball. And when you combine that with a really poor on base percentage because the team refuses to walk a 294 on base percentage, when I hear we got to be more athletic, mm-hmm. I it's like we're going to give in. We don't have power. But what we're going to try to focus on is that when we get on base, we're going to make things happen. We're going to force you to defend us in stolen base attempts and we're going to have a heightened focus of having guys that have this type of speed that can go from first to third on any type of single when it gets into the outfield. That is the way that we're going to try to change the style of play. Cincinnati and Arizona, they're not going to out-homer you. They just don't have that level of power. Tampa Bay this year has this amazing combination of the power and speed, and that's why they're one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. The teams that are ranked fourth and fifth at stolen bases this year... The Kansas City Royals and the Oakland Athletics, the only two teams in the American League that have a worse record than the Chicago White Sox. So when I hear that we got to be more athletic, I agree defensively. Mm-hmm. You have to be more athletic. I think you need to overhaul the middle of your infield. Tim Anderson at age 31 is not going to have the same level of athleticism that he did at age 28. And if I were the White Sox, I'd move on. Or I have a very frank conversation with Tim Anderson that you stay here, you're playing second base. We got to find a different shortstop. So I think, yes, the White Sox have to get more athletic up the middle of the infield at short and at second base. But being more athletic may help defensively. It still doesn't resolve the offensive problem. And just watching the games this weekend, Jim, it is so clear that Chris gets his biggest issue coming to this offseason is on the position player front. This is a mess. It is a disaster on what he currently has on hand right now. And just trying to find more athleticism on the roster, I don't think helps you with the on-base situation. I don't think it helps you with your power situation and guarantee rate field. You got to have a team that hits somewhat for power to take advantage of the ballpark that you play in 81 times a year. So I would I would like more insight from Chris Getz and exactly what he means by we need to be more athletic mm-hmm. because like what do you mean by that, Chris Getz? Because a lot of people pointed 2005 that the White Sox were athletic to a point. They hit 200 homers. They hit 200 homers. <laughs> like Facetic was athletic. Tadahito Gucci was athletic. Ozzy Ball was a lie. Yeah, I mean Ozzy Ball wasn't small ball. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't like you had guys that hit homers and you had guys that took walks and they got on base. Like, so I, I, if athleticism means 
listen, guys, we're going to have a renewed sense of focus on defense. We have to improve defensively immediately. And hopefully we're going to try to win more ball games three to two. Okay. That it good. That kind of leads into another point that Chris Getz was trying to make is like, what is our identity right now of the Chicago White Sox? Maybe that is the identity that we're going to try to go from worst to first defensively. We're going to really heighten focus on the run prevention side. And we know offensively we're struggling at the moment, but we're going to try to win more games. Three, two, four, three, eke out these types of wins until someone else can step up and help out Luis Robert on the power front. Mm -hmm. It's a strategy. It's better than what their game plan is currently. But I, I just, when he tosses things out, like we got to be more athletic. I just think like that's eyewashing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, every team, this is professional sports. Every team wants to be athletic. You don't want guys looking like me playing on your baseball team. Yeah. I think Griffal said something similar um, about like, you know, when, some reporters asked him about like what he expected from the offense. And he thought he expected a more athletic or aggressive style of play. And you look at the roster and like, what, you know, where are we going to get that from? You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Royals teams, of course, uh, before they won the world series, when they're kind of stumbling year after year. And there was some uh, doubt that the rebuild there or Dayton Morris process would work. And it took like three years longer than, you know, I guess originally planned. But, like, it was a lot of stolen bases, uh, really aggressive play, decent defense, decent to good defense in, in most positions. But they couldn't get on base, couldn't hit homers. And, like, so they'd lead the league in stolen bases, but they'd be, like, bottom third in OBP and then, like, bottom three in runs year after year because it's just a really hard needle to thread. And they're just their pitching staff wasn't good enough to maintain or support that kind of offense. And then eventually, like – they it clicked in those two years because they found like a great cheap bullpen, which maximizes those gains. Like they got, you know, a couple big years here and there, like they got a little bit more power across the lineup. Even if it wasn't like a, a slugging lineup, they at least had more like 15 Homer guys, you know, up and down the lineup that could at least provide instant offense when guys got on board. But like, it took a while to thread that needle. And then like after uh, the magic kind of wore off and guys got expensive and Hosmer and Mustak has moved on, et cetera, that uh, they were back at square one, like struggling to find homers or if they found homers, like, you know, with Jorge Soler or something like that, like that was basically it. And they had a whole bunch of holes elsewhere and the pitching dried up. So that's why, like, when I hear that quote, like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And yeah, it'd be nice that to take advantage of the rule changes the way that uh, other teams have, but I don't want them to put the cart before the horse and think that they can all of a sudden steal more bases if they can't get on base to begin with. So, right. you know, if they're looking at building a team, like, yeah, defense would be better. Some OBP would be better. If you want to try to improve the defense and just ability to cover positions and run well and, and uh, have an effort that doesn't make you cringe every time somebody goes all out, like you ever, like Mankata makes a play and he's like, you know, kind of wincing or, you know, Jimenez pulls up gingerly or, you know, um, just trying to think across like Andrew Benintendi's not that impressive and left like there are a whole lot of guys that just, you know, like their max effort doesn't do a whole lot. So it'd be nice to, I think to have some players who inject some enthusiasm in the game when it clicks uh, and, you know, they can handle their position, everything, every ball hit to them, like they can cover it. But yeah, I just, I don't want to see them pursue stolen bases without getting on base to begin with, because we know what that looks like. And that's one thing Pedro Griffol has experienced. And like, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Grafal has been, you know, he has winning baseball experience. Like, yeah, a lot of people do, especially like, you know, 
it's been a long time since Grafols had winning baseball experience. Right. You know, all the players who have had a winning experience and coaches, like, you know, what's it been since like 2017 or no, 2016, I think was their last winning season. Uh, and it's all been downhill from there. And like, yeah, he's, it's been miserable. The team he's been with, like a lot of people have winning experience since 2016, not the White Sox. I mean, that probably impresses the White Sox being like, <laughs> wow, you, you had a winning season 2016 and 2050, you, you, you went to the, uh, you won postseason series two years in a row. Like that's, that's mind blowing, but like that shouldn't be any kind of definition of success experience. Yeah. Post all-star break, the White Sox have only stolen 26 bases. So they're, they're not really running since the all-star break and, you know, back to Tim Anderson in his last 41 games. So that's a quarter of the season. Anderson's hitting 262 with a 316 on base percentage, slugging just 341. So that's just a 657 OPS. So when people are saying that Anderson is hitting better, yes, technically that's true. He's not hitting well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Elvis Andrews, by the way, has an 867 OPS since the all-star break, but he's going to turn like 35 uh, after the season. So, yeah, I mean, if the idea is from Chris Getz that I want the type of athleticism that the 2022 Cleveland Guardians had, okay, I can see where you're going. You don't have the starting pitching for that plan to work. You, as the player development, <laughs> yep. weren't developing these types of players. And whether you want to argue that the previous administration ran by Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn, did not give you those types of players could be a whole different type of story. But when that team got to the postseason, even though Cleveland pushed the Yankees to game five, they didn't have the home run power, the extra base power to get deep into the postseason. So that might be a strategy to win the American League Central in 2024. And I could kind of see where Chris Getz is coming from, but that's not a strategy to win the World Series. I mean, again, just look at the best teams of baseball right now. Baltimore, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, the Dodgers these teams seem to do everything well. Like you got to do everything. It's about balance really. And I don't know. I I'm a little bit concerned here that this might be the off season of we're going to just focus on getting a bunch of athletic guys, Jim. Can they draw walks? No. <laughs> can they hit? No, but man, they can run. So if they ever get on base, we could be dangerous. <laughs> like, okay, great. This, this offense could get a lot worse. Yeah, I think it depends on how he sells it. Like, if the, the thing that troubles me is, like, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf saying he doesn't have a year to waste and Chris Getz saying, like, well, the Central, we can get better. Like, if they were looking at 2024 as a step back or just waiting for the payroll to shift and, like, maybe they'll put professionals in place that if things break right, they can be interesting, but aren't going to sell out for 2024. Sure. I could buy it. But like the pretense of uh, the idea that they're going to try to get good as fast as possible, that does create room for concern because, you know, what happens if uh, their talent evaluation remains exactly the same and they continue to draw duds when they try to, uh, you know, sell positions on the cheap and they, have, and they have to sell positions on the cheap because they just have so many positions to solve. Like it's not, you know, a matter of like, uh, yeah, even if they could spend, you know, spread some money around, it's going to be spread pretty thin because it's a lot of square footage to cover on the roster. Yeah. I, again, like on the shopping list for those that are already mocking up your offseason plan projects, I think you got to find a shortstop at second baseman. 
You might need to find a right fielder again. And four starting pitchers. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, <laughs> a bunch of starting pitchers. Yeah, it's it's quite the shoppy list. Speaking of starting pitchers, Michael Kopech moved to the bullpen. Now we were trying to have some type of live show, a live stream to talk about Michael Kopech going to the bullpen. Unfortunately, because of technical difficulties, we weren't able to do that live stream. Kopech did pitch on Saturday, two quick outs, that he gave up a solo homer, and then he proceeded to walk the next batter. He eventually got out of the inning, but Kopech threw 28 pitches, and that walk, his fastball command was all over the place, and obviously he got shaken up by giving up the home run that extended Detroit's lead. And this whole situation now of Kopech moving to the bullpen and the White Sox, they're just saying it's a temporary thing. They're trying to work on his mechanics, get him back on track. I don't know, Jim. We've done we've seen this on a dance before with the Chicago White Sox. I know it's a different administration now. I just what do you think the White Sox are trying to do here? Like what what are they trying to accomplish by having Michael Kopech pitch out of the bullpen? Or is this what his role is going to be moving forward? It should be. I mean, I think most teams would, especially teams that are trying to get good for 2024. Like they'd say, like, yeah, you're a reliever. Uh, maybe worst case scenario will start you in the rotation um, opening day or at least, you know, opening week, just because we might not have the depth we want. So we'll, we'll have you stretched out to start the year. But like, as soon as we have sufficient depth to going to the bullpen and staying there, like, I think that would be a sensible plan. It is really confusing. Cause I mean, like that inning was basically the abridged version of his starting experience like an inning a hit a walk a homer a strikeout like i mean like that's been his problem the entire season and like yeah homer walk strikeout same inning great very convenient for just explaining the point but yeah i i don't well i think the other thing that drives me nuts is like you know that there are like all these defenses and everything that you know kopech needs to get right in all this time and like lane ramsey walks a leadoff guy and griffol says yeah that pissed me off when uh yeah when you walk that guy, just like, yeah, continue managing rookies. Like, can you being the tough guy for, you know, players in no service time and guys who are arb eligible or have guaranteed contracts, you walk on eggshells around like that, that worries me. Uh, and I don't know if a new bench coach is going to fix that or new pitching coach is going to fix that. But yeah, I, I don't know why, you know, 10 days before they moved in the bullpen, uh, Griffol was saying that like, you know, it's the furthest thing from our mind and it should be mm-hmm. on his mind either. And then like, I wish he had a middle ground between like outright denial and then making the move he denied. Like, it'd be nice to be like, yeah, if he doesn't pick it up, we might have to consider alternatives. Like he's, he never says that about guys who have service time. And I think that's very troubling. And it's why I don't understand why if he's around next year, like how he's going to help. Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But Jim got a chance to see a lot of the upcoming White Sox players as he visited the Birmingham Barons. So it'll be Jim's report from Birmingham after a quick word from our sponsors. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use GameTime to purchase your tickets. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. 
If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox have a seven-game homestand this week as they'll play three games against the Kansas City Royals Monday through Wednesday, and then a four-gamer against the Minnesota Twins Thursday through Sunday. When we were previewing this season, we were thinking that this could be a big week for the White Sox if they were still in playoff contention, but since they are not, who cares? So let's move on to what could possibly happen for the White Sox and who could help out uh, in the near future. So Jim visited the Birmingham Barons. This was their final weekend at home at Regents Field in 2023. A lot of intriguing prospects. Obviously a chance to see Colson Montgomery. Jim, let's just talk in broad terms here. What did you see from Birmingham in the final weekend at home for their regular season? I saw like a lineup that has, you know, I think interesting is such a boring word. But I think interesting is the correct word for these process because, like, I see them in the lineup, I'm like, oh, I'll watch them. Uh, when I see the uh, starters, uh, they have kind of five interesting starters who, when I see their name on the lineup card, I think, yeah, uh, I'm interested in seeing what they look like. But, like, I, they're not maybe gripping or they're not, like, must-watch guys if you were just, um, you know, showing up at the ballpark looking for names or looking – not knowing the names and just looking at what they're doing in the field – might not jump out to you. So I think like, that's why I go with interesting as much as I like to find other words. So, you know, the lineup was like five, six deep of those types of players. Some more than interesting, like Wilfred Varis, I think jumped out to me, Colson Montgomery, of course, uh, Edgar Caro, of course. Uh, but like the starting pitching I saw, uh, which was uh, Mason Adams on Friday, Jonathan Cannon on Saturday, and then Matthew Thompson on Sunday, like all those guys are just kind of interesting in, in that, like, I'm not sure if they're going to be, uh, rotation mainstays at any point in their careers, but uh, you know, worth watching for a game to understand what they do and ask people about them. 
So let's start with Colson Montgomery because Eric Loggenhagen on Fangraphs, which I do trust his analysis. Eric gets a chance to, especially when it comes to international prospects, see them in the backfields of Arizona. He's got good resources and he does a good job as a solo guy on Fangraphs in tracking and how some of the top prospects are doing. And he recently wrote a couple of posts about just the talent at shortstop in the farm systems and especially the top 100 prospects. There's a lot of teams that have, it looks like major league baseball solutions up the middle and the white Sox are hopeful for Colson Montgomery, but in his writing, he's out on Colson Montgomery being a shortstop that he cannot consistently make the routine plays and at double a based on what Logan Hagen is hearing. There's a little concern about the arm strength and the arm strength issues may be coming because of the back issues that Colson Montgomery had to deal with at the beginning part of the season, which I could totally buy. It's hard for me mm-hmm. to gauge on minor league broadcasting, and it is limited on what you can see video-wise defensively rather than being in person. But for you to be in person, what did you think defensively of Colson Montgomery? Well, he made all the routine plays over the games I saw him, and he started it short in two of the games. Like he, yeah, I, I had seen some of the errors that Eric was referring to, and yeah, I, I get what he's saying, and it didn't strike me as, you know, it struck me as disappointing, but also like, yeah, I kind of get it based on, you know, when I see that the box score shows an error, and sometimes I look it up and be like, yeah, that was a pretty routine play, or he got out of sorts fielding a chopper or like kind of Tim Anderson thing, trying to make a quick play at home and getting ahead of himself. Like, yeah, I, I get that point, but like he made the routine plays in front of me when I saw him, the thing that jumped out to me, and this is something where I, you know, because of, of course you can't watch like isolated footage of any defensive player who's not like in the, in, in the frame on a minor league broadcast, but like I was taking photos. So like, I wanted to get some defensive photos of him. So I had my camera trained on him and I noticed like he was constantly like doing hip twists and shoulder rolls and kind of neck things like that. And like, I might not have thought much of it except like with this back issue, like I kept thinking like, is that like a back thing? Is that like a habit he got into keeping loose? Is there something like, you know, Eric referred to that the back injury is hampering something. Then I looked around, I surveyed the rest of the infield, like Brian Ramos, like, I mean, everybody's got their like between pitch routines. Like Ramos would like, you know, kind of take his glove off, put it back on, Um, you know, Alexander Womack on the other side is like kicking the dirt and, you know, checking his card and looking around playing with his hat. Like Tim Elko is kind of chatting up the got run around first or like they're all doing something between pitches, but like Montgomery constantly like twisting, rolling, uh, just uh, stretching out. And that did make me a bit concerned. Like, ah, maybe he's not all the way past that. It sounds like they're going to have him play in the Arizona fall league. And I get it to trying to make up for lost ground. But man, if the numbers aren't great at the Arizona Fall League, it might be worthwhile just to give him an offseason and just tell him, don't lift for a month. <laughs> you know, just. The old Mankata plan. Yeah, let's take it easy uh, on the back. Because, uh, you know, to like what Eric was writing about, like, I get that. Like, if he is struggling defensively, it might be because of the back. Uh, so for you getting a chance to see that, like that was one of the things that I had on my mind video wise, like Brian Ramos. Okay. So you and I've had this debate and I do not think Brian Ramos is someone that I'm going to pencil in as a possible replacement of Yohan Makata at third base. However, 
I am open to be convinced because some of the things that I've seen on video demonstrates that Ramos has more athleticism, again, that word, Mm -hmm. uh, at third base than I was expecting. And he has more range than I was expecting at third base. And he does have some pretty good arm strength. And he's someone that I initially, I thought if he's going to make it to the major leagues, he's probably a left fielder in the major leagues, but he has been impressing with some of the defensive plays that I've seen on video. What does he look like defensively in person, Jim? Yeah, his hands are really good. And his you know reaction time was pretty good. Made a couple of diving plays, made a tricky backpedaling play and kind of threw flat footed across the diamond to get Jackson Churio and like Churio got real pissed off at that one. Like, I'm not sure if it was because he topped a ball that he uh, thought he should have driven or whether he's just, you know, cause Ramos robbed him earlier in the game too. So that was two uh, tricky plays that Ramos made on him. You know, I, I was sitting next to the Bluxy dugout and like Churio came in, slammed, slammed the helmet, slammed the bat. Like, and I imagine it had to be pretty satisfying. So I was impressed by the defense. He did make a throwing error on kind of like a Leroy Jenkins effort. Like he it was actually a really good play. Like he, he, he made a lunging stab towards third base with the runner on third and then charged right at the runner and tagged him out. Cause the nice. runner got like, you know, runner would have been dead at home, but like, because Ramos's momentum was carrying him towards third, like his first break went home. And then by that time he's a dead duck. So like Ramos tagged him out, but then he just tried to throw to get the runner at first as well. And kind of fired high and wide and, uh, it got away from him, but no, I think he has a skill set there. I was talking to Lorenzo Bundy, the Birmingham manager, and he likes the way he's been playing. So no, I think third base looks like a natural enough position, especially since like now he's, you know, getting the reps that he needs and he missed, you know, the first two months as well. And uh, I think, it, I think, you know, unlike Montgomery, who might be a little bit like uh, just getting by right now, I, I think Ramos is actually, you know, He's not lighting up necessarily, but he's doing well enough at the plate, but I think he's thriving defensively. Yeah, Ramos this year City 265 with a 361 on base percentage. That's a number that kind of jumps out when you're looking at the Birmingham numbers with a 438 sluggy percentage. So I think Brian Ramos could use another half season at least at double A to prove that he could hit for more power, another chance to see the pitchers in the Southern league uh, compared to like Jose Rodriguez, Popeye. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. got 18 homers. He's got 17 doubles. It's a 264 batting average. So a point below Brian Ramos, it's a 297 on base percentage because Rodriguez has a crazy strikeout rate to walk rate. He does not walk. He strikes out a ton. Uh, he does run a lot though. He's got 28 stolen bases. So if you're looking at home runs, doubles and stolen bases, Jose Rodriguez impresses you, but that 297 on base percentage is not going to translate to the major league. So again, I will bring up if Brian Ramos wants to join the major league sooner, uh, can he play second base? <laughs> like, cause that might be uh, his first opportunity that he could get uh, at least to the major leagues. And you know, the white Sox have called up Jose Rodriguez twice and they haven't given him a start or an at bat. I, it's just dumb. Uh, so you got a chance to see these starting pitchers for the Birmingham Barons. And I got to watch Jonathan Cannon a bunch when he was in college. And we know about Matthew Thompson. We've talked about him over the years. What impressed you or did anyone impress you on the pitching front? Well, I guess Garrett Crochet saw him. He struck out the side. Um, it, it was refreshing to see him pitch uh, just because the rest of the Birmingham bullpen, not a whole lot there. So to come, you see him come in and just basically like rip through the Shuckers lineup, be like strikeout, 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 all swinging, like 
ah, that's what it's like to have a major league caliber arm. And then you go back to the, you know, Gil Luna's of the world and such like, yeah, they're just, yeah, it's, it's really slim pickings for, uh, uh, for Bundy when he's trying to get through uh, the innings, the starter leaves for him. But I think like the pitching was, you know, to, to go back to interesting, like it was okay. Like another kind of flat word, like Jonathan Cannon, I think showed some toughness. Uh, I, I talked to Danny Farquhar about him because like trying to get a read on him, he had one bad inning, uh, gave ball three runs in one inning, ended up rebounding pretty well for the quality start, stranded the bases loaded in the sixth. And, you know, Farquhar mentioned to me that uh, they had a guy in the bullpen ready, but really wanted him to close it out. Like it's a development moment. His pitch count was reasonable, like in the, low eighties, I think. So like, yeah, let him, let him have this moment or give up the runs. Like this is a, a time to test and, and learn how to do it. But I asked him about his arsenal and said, is he still throwing six pitches? And he sure is. And I have to go back to my recording to see what order uh, he put them in because he mentioned all six pitches. And I said like, well, what's the order of confidence? And then he had to think about it and rearrange them. So I have to go back and figure it out. But uh, you know, like he said his problem is just like, you know, when he wants to get strikeouts, he overthrows and he might not be a strikeout pitcher. He might be somebody who is more like he has a sinker. So he gets grounders, keeps guys off balance, can ramp it up to 97. So can strike some guys out. But when he tries to get in a strikeout mode, his stuff flattens out and just loses the life that makes him, you know, either the chase pitches are really bad because they're he's, he's pulling them to the ground or they're just, you know, over the plates and you're backing up on him and they stay up and they get hit. So I learned what he's like because the first three innings were great. So I, I learned what it's like uh, when he is rolling and when he hits a snag and is trying to power his way through why sometimes these crooked numbers pile up on him. So I, I felt that was very instructive. Mason Adams was, you know, for people who don't know that name, he's a 13th round pick from uh, 2022. Started the year being a bulk guy behind like Noah Schultz and, you know, Peyton Paulette and, and Tanner McDougal, you know, all these bigger names and, and bigger bonuses. But he was pitching so well in bulk that his guys moved on or guys got hurt. Like he started getting starts and he started like, you know, racking up strikeouts and not walking anybody. He's 23 years old, so like maybe he shouldn't in a ball, but he got promoted to Winston-Salem, was great there. So he's in now in his third level. And uh, I saw the limitations in, in terms of like he tops out at 93, you know, maybe hits 94, uh, Farquhar told me, but like, you know, he's he's got a little bit more. But he has like a slider that hits like 87, 88. So the slider has some power to it, despite like the fastball not being, you know, kind of being ordinary. Um Location's good. Uh, I think he was somebody who he ended up walking four over three and two thirds, but like the walks were all six pitches or more like foul balls, you know, like Bluxy really, uh, you know, wearing them out or waiting them out or waiting them to come over the middle of the plate and he never did. And so he ended up giving up walks instead. But I kind of saw the skill set in terms of like, hey, locates pretty well. Uh, the slider looks like a real pitch. Changeup's not bad. So I can understand why he's dominating a ball. I think we'll see. Um, the way I put it in the minor league, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the White Sox minor keys, uh, on Sunday was like, you know, he's, he knows what he wants to do. It's just a matter of whether double eight hitters will let him do what he wants to do, or if he needs to figure out like another way to go about his business when he's getting hit or whether his fastball is not good enough, et cetera. But I think, you know, this is a, a couple starts into his third level after a hundred innings. So, I think it's more about like, yeah, just, you know, good year for him, no matter what. And when the year resets in 2024, we'll see exactly what his game does over like the course of starts and seeing opponents twice. Anyone else that jumped off the page for you, either position player or pitcher front that 
we should be paying more attention to? Uh, Wilfred Veras looks good. Um, like he's confused me as a prospect because there hasn't been a whole lot written about him. You know, he was kind of like an ordinary uh, international signing. Like he's been young for every level he plays at and he produces pretty well, but like he doesn't necessarily like jump off the page because like he's getting, you know, he he's doing well as a 19 year old in Kannapolis or he's doing well as a 20 year old in Winston Salem. You know, it's not necessarily doing well for like a top 100 prospect, but like he's certainly, uh, you know, impressive age for level. You just don't necessarily make the age for level adjustments when you're just looking at a guy. Uh, the other thing I'm, that surprises me is that, um, and, and why I wanted to see him, was that, you know, he doesn't have a position or he was said not to have a position. I just assume that means he can't move, but like he's stolen 23 bases this year uh, in, in 30 attempts. And even if that is like a case of like the minor league rules being very favorable to guys with like, okay, speed, it's like still, you know, 23 stolen bases, that suggests to me, like given enough outfield reps, he might be able to do it. So I wanted to see what he's all about. And like, yeah, he's a good prospect. Like, you know, I'm not quite sure where he'll fit in my top 10 or top 15, or I really only rank 10. And then like, you know, Varys has been consistently around, like I would say in the 12 to 15 range, if I were to do it. Um, but like, you know, he's always been somebody like, well, you know, why hasn't then Barrett, why hasn't he had more heat or why hasn't he been more interest? And like, you know, watching him play a little bit, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, he seems like, you know, he, he has some moments where the strike zone gets away from him, and that's evident in the strikeout to walk uh, you know, numbers. And um, he struck out three times in the first game, was just getting slider to death. And then next game, he hits a homer, hits a triple, like, uh, is waiting for the ball to get over the plate again. So he seemed to correct pretty well. So I think his flaws right now are kind of young player problems or experience problems or maybe, like, growing into a body problem. Uh, but like he stole a base, he uh, surprised him, got a late throw that uh, moved in the center field. He took third. So like he has the ability to do stuff with his legs and you would think that would translate to the outfield to be somebody where if he hits, he'll have a position to play. It won't be a case of like, I don't think he'll be good enough to where like, if he's an okay hitter, you'll be happy to have him out there. I think it's more like his bat has to do the driving, but I mean, age for level and just natural power and kind of figuring out how to go about his business. He seems to be doing well enough. So the Barons are not going to have a winning record. Nope. And the last time that they had a winning record was in 2021 when they finished 62 at 56 in the year. That was Justin Jershley's first year managing for the Birmingham Barons before 2021. The last time the Barons had a winning record was back in 2013 when Tim Anderson helped lead the Birmingham Barons in winning the league championship. And I think that was Tim Anderson, right? No, that's probably a little early for Tim. That Anderson. was uh, Trace Thompson, actually Scott Carroll, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Scott Carroll was there. There's a big banner with the team celebrating, and like that, I saw him there. So he's uh, in the middle of it. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, Tim Anderson's Birmingham Barons finished 69 and 70 uh, on the season before. Uh, we got to see Tim Anderson later in 2016. Oh, Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon. Yes, that's right. In 2013. Micah Johnson, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Remembering some names now. So, okay. So in the last decade, the poor Birmingham Barrett's have only had two winning seasons and they've had some really ugly win loss records. And, there will be people who will say win loss records don't mean anything in the minor league affiliate front. 
But sometimes the baseball has been so bad at double A because mm-hmm. the White Sox are just really lacking talent for that level. So with what you have seen this weekend, and obviously we keep an eye on the minor leagues all season long. Is there anything that you've seen from Birmingham that inspires confidence that anyone could help turn around the White Sox in 2024? Not in 2024. That's why I don't think that trying to push for next year makes any sense. Um, even, you know, hoping for guys to contribute in the second half, like Colson Montgomery, like I'm not quite there on him yet in being in terms of like being somebody to write in for August as somebody who might be able to contribute. So like, yeah, I'm not quite seeing it. Brian Ramos seems like 2025, uh, Wilfred Veris, like just, you know, he seems like 2025, maybe 26, depending on how much work he needs defensively. Edgar Caro seems like 2025. So I, I think that talent is still coalescing. The pitching isn't quite there yet. Um, Jake Eater was just sent to the, uh, he wasn't in Birmingham. He went to the pitch lab apparently, or he's, he's en route to the pitch lab in Arizona. He's going to get some work in the Arizona Fall League, but they want to see what they're working with there. Kai Bush, they made some adjustments with him. He's still figuring it out. So yeah, the, the help that they got, it does bulk up the farm system a little bit, but not for 2024. So that's why I don't understand all this rhetoric that Jerry Reinsdorf issued about like how we don't have a year to waste. You definitely do have a year to waste. Like <laughs> Wasting next year might be the prudent thing to do. Might be like just the responsible, uh, you know, course of action to where you don't, you know, waste payroll or you don't put undue expectations on guys who aren't ready for it yet. Like, 2024 is like a get by year, get through it year, uh, and then hope that you have more things lined up for 2025 seems like the way to go. Yeah, and the Charlotte Knights definitely are not going to have a winning record in 2023. <laughs> so the, <laughs> Their team is all catchers. Yeah, their team is all catchers right now. Uh, the Charlotte Knights in the last 10 years also only have two winning seasons. 2015, they finished 74 and 70. and 2019, they finished 75 and 64. Yeah, that's it. The, the The Birmingham Barons, the Charlotte Knights in the last decade have only had two seasons with a winning record. Like this kind of this leads to why Rick Hunt and Kenny Williams were fired. But this also breeds into question why Chris mm-hmm. Getz gets to be the GM. They continue to struggle here. And that's a good way to end this podcast is that there are some promising things that are happening in Birmingham and maybe some promising things happening in Winston-Salem and Kannapolis. But boy, to do Chris Getz not only has a lot of work to do in trying to get this team to turn around in 2024, he's also got a lot of work to do in the job that he originally had in trying to develop some players in the minor leagues or trying to find new avenues of talent because there's just there's a lot lacking here. Yeah. Uh, and all levels for the White and I would like to see, you know, for the good people of Birmingham, like I'd like to see them have a good team. Same thing with Charlotte as well, but like I've had more experience with Birmingham recently to where getting to know some of the employees there. I mean, I've known Kurt Bloom since, uh, I don't know how long ago, like we met up and mm-hmm. uh, had, a, had a ballpark meal in, in Zebulon, North Carolina one time because, you know, he was traveling with the team at the time and just thought, hey, yeah, it'd be great to meet you. I've, you know, listen to so many of your games. And so we go way back, but like just, uh, you know, Going there and being within driving distance, like always a great time. Um, they they always roll out the red carpet for you when it comes to socks machine. They they, they love uh, having us there, and it's, it's they're great to work with. Ballpark is beautiful. Like I keep you know um you know 
yeah, walking uh, different areas about, sitting all over the place to get different looks and different angles and different photos and like everywhere is great. Uh, you know, walking distance from hotels, breweries abound. Like it just, it's it's enjoyable afterward. Like put away my camera, finish my scorebook, go to the brewery, have a, have a beer uh, and then head back to the hotel. Like it's, it's very nicely done. And it'd just be nice to have like an exciting team that, you get some of those, you know, big Kurt Bloom calls and you, you get the crowds there going for the top prospects. And, uh, you know, rather than a team that just gets by with like a, a good ballpark and a really good presentation, but just not a whole lot of substance underneath it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. The, it'd be nice if the White Sox could give the the people in Birmingham something to root for, something to come and watch. Like they'll sell out games in Birmingham. Yeah. It's it's just it's a little disheartening. It it just is. I, I I feel bad for the Barons folks. They've they've just had some bad teams. And when you were there, that was on my mind. Is 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 there anyone that could provide Jim hope that could provide a spark and and help Chris gets at his efforts in 2024? And it it sounds like yeah, there's some hope. Yeah, in 2025. <laughs> so we're gonna have to figure out go shopping in the Target clearance area in free agency to come up with some type of roster 2024. We're not in the business of trying to sell hope or fool's hope next season listeners, but I was hoping that Jim would could <laughs> spark inspiration that there is hope coming. It's just, we may have to wait. Till I think the interesting, uh, yeah, there's that word again, uh, because I don't know which way it'll go <laughs> is, you know, among Chris Getz's next moves is uh, minor league developments. Like who is going to be his yeah. Chris Getz and, I'm curious who they'll be, whether it's internal, whether that's external and just, you know, whether any changes in the scouting director, but like if he's getting promoted and he was the minor league development guy, then that would seem to be like, well, it wasn't me. It was the players. So do they change who brings in the players? And we'll see. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, you know, leeway he has given the relative lack of experience he has being an executive. Well, there's like, going to be a lot of scouts. There's going to be a lot of player development folks available after the season. The Washington Nationals have already started to clean house. I know that's a very controversial topic uh, covering the game at a national level. I think there's going to be some guys. I, I think bringing people from the outside makes the most sense. You're not going to promote within because the guy below Chris Getz was Kenny Williams Jr. There's no way, right? <laughs> there's no, there, Jim, there's no way. There's no way that Kenny Williams Jr. is going to take over as director of player development, right? That's almost like, that's kind of like Hamlet in a way. Like, <laughs> Isn't it? it? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Watch in yours, that, Chris. In, yeah. in that sense, I would love for him to get promoted. <laughs> just yeah. like, keep that drama, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just you turn into like, yeah, we're just like, you know, Rome of just like, yeah, one emperor getting uh, <laughs> assassinated by the next emperor in waiting who gets assassinated by the next emperor in waiting. Like, yeah, just professionally, though. Professionally. Professionally. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah, but just with you know, <laughs> given that they haven't solved the bullet in the stands thing, I figure that uh, we have to be very explicit about like <laughs> obviously, yes, metaphorically, yes. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I hope we are a welcome distraction from all of the Chicago Bears talk right now that's going on in the city. But thank you guys so much for listening to the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify. 
and Apple Music. We upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at youtube.com slash SocksMachine. And you can follow us on social media, no matter what the platform is. We're at SocksMachine. You can follow me there at SocksMachine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash SocksMachine. And with Jim going to Birmingham and paying for a new transmission so he can get home <laughs> and help continue covering these last 19 games, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters because with your guys' support, it allows Jim and I to travel, a chance to see the minor league affiliates up close and personal. We're planning on being in Nashville during the winter meeting. So if you enjoy our work and you want us more on site to get these types of reports, you go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. If you want me, if you want me to see my kid again, <laughs> support us at patreon.com slash socks. Yes, yes. Let's help Jim out with his transmission issues. Our Patreon supporters not only get to help out with auto repairs, but they also they also get <laughs> exclusive content and ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.